Last week, I ended my sermon with a question. After laying out a variety of postures of Christianity, including ones that, at least to me, seem contrary to the way of Jesus, I asked, is that you? As we continue this coming back series and move from considering what we're not to what we are, today's sermon, like last week's, will end with a question. So let us pray. Shatter the silence, mighty God, with your glad and glorious greetings. Banish all our fears and give us faith in Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. If there is anything said this morning that is against your will, let it come to naught and do no harm. But if there is anything said this morning that is according to your will, let it be heard, as if sung by the voice of angels, that hearing we might believe, and believing, obey. Amen. I can remember the worst sermon I ever preached. It was just a few months into my first call, and I spent almost the entire sermon making a very cringy reference that I thought was clever, but it really was not. <laughs> not at all, actually. And like with most terrible sermons, most people move on and do their best to forget them, but there are always a few that know deep in their hearts that it is their job to inform you. This is Pastor Edwin's first Sunday with us here at Kirk in the Hills, and I'm going to guess that Edwin has a few names and faces in mind from his last church that took on that weighty task. And sadly, it won't be long until he meets them here and thinks to himself, hey, I thought I left you back there. Well, at that particular church in my first call, my contact information was not readily available. Yes, email was a thing. I'm not that old, but we weren't texting or messaging like we do now. So the feedback shared by this particular member, let's call her Amber. I'll never forget that name, Amber. Her feedback was shared through the only email that she had, which was somehow my wife's. Now, I'm being generous here. There's part of me that thinks she actually had my email, but wanted to make sure my wife got to see her feedback too, but I'm not bitter, I promise. A scathing, albeit accurate note, multiple paragraphs sent to my wife's email. Not a great day. Not something I wanted to contend with early in my ministry. But we all get them. And if it's not about a cringy sermon, it's about a well-meaning but off-putting decision or because something or someone slipped your mind and it really shouldn't have. Or because you face a once-in-a-lifetime global pandemic paired with an it's-about-time reckoning on race 
mixed in with the controversial election cycle with a sprinkle of economic downturn and you don't quite get everything right. Amen? <laughs> we all have issues. We all face issues. Not just pastors, all of us. We face issues in our lives that we wish we didn't have to contend with. We wish we didn't have to contend with. The disciples did too. It happens in our passage this morning, you know. See, before this passage, it was all good for the disciples. They journeyed with Jesus and his public ministry. They got excited about where he was going. They were filled with the goodness of his teaching. They wore sunscreen and basked in the blessing of his miracles. It was all kind of good. And then he had to go and ask the question, who do you say that I am? And this was a real turning point for them. It was a question that jarred the group, that caused them to, to think and to wonder for themselves. Well, who is this man? Jesus. And as they did, it made them think. Why did that have to happen? Why did he have to ask that? Things were so good, but it was there this unwanted, irritating question, and they were forced to contend with it. They had to contend with it. They were forced to contend with it, and so are we. Who do you say that Jesus is? Is it something you would rather not contend with? Something you wish just wouldn't come up. But no question, at least for those of us interested in what it means to come back to church, no question, though, is more important than this one from Jesus. Who do you say that I am? Because this question posed to the disciples in the crux of the Gospel of Mark is not only unwanted, it also reminds the disciples that this whole business uh, about being a disciple is more about service than it is about glory. It's asking and what follows it reminds them that they're going to be called to something that might be more than just a little uncomfortable. These disciples were turning the corner in their life with Christ and headed to Jerusalem, headed toward the cross, headed to the place where Judas would betray, Peter would deny, and Thomas would doubt. They were turning the corner in their life with Christ, and it was time for them to contend with what their relationship with Christ was going to mean for them. We face a similar turning point moment for the church. As we come back, let us contend 
with what is real here. What this is. A moment to turn the corner, to turn it on the question of who Jesus is and what he is about to ask us to do with him. What if it's true? What I've been saying the last few weeks, what if this is a wake-up call to the church? A reminder that by saying Jesus is the Christ, is the King of all, that we are called to a life of service. What would that look like? I would venture to say that it would look a whole lot like what it looked like for the disciples as they journeyed toward Golgotha. Life would cease to be about success, but about service. Life would cease to be about gaining, but about giving. What would it look like here at the Kirk? It would look like a journey to the cross where decisions were made, not because of who we are and where we want to go, but because of who Christ is and how we yearn, how our hearts burn to follow him. Our giving, serving, and spending would not be dictated by who we are, where we are, how refined our process is, what our budget looks like. Instead, it would be dictated by who Jesus is, what Jesus did, who Jesus calls us to be. Who do you say that he is? And what does that mean for us? Who do you say that he is? I say that he is the cross-bearer, the death defier, and the resurrected son. I say that he is the yoke-taker, world-maker, and the life-giver. I believe that he is a communion creator and a barefoot bather. And finally, I believe that he was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be the true pastor of this and every church. But who do you say that he is? Kirk in the Hills, who do you say that he is? Pastor Angela, Pastor Marjorie, Pastor Kelsey, who do you say that he is? Pastor Edwin, on your first day here, who do you say that he is? Martin Copenhaver, the co-author of This Odd and Wondrous Calling, a book about the life of a pastor, offered a bit from his last sermon in a church he served for nine years. He said, as I am about to leave, there is something I want to tell you. I want to tell you what Jesus means to me. I want to share my belief that everything depends on him. I want to urge you to learn from him. I want to ask you to listen to his words of challenge. I want to tell you that I believe that you can entrust your life to him. I want to affirm that he is the Lord of this church and that in his name you are free to love one another and empowered to share that love with a hurting world. I want to profess that 
Though once people could not look at the face of God and live, now we are invited to look at the face of God in Him, in Jesus, and live as we have never lived before. He is Emmanuel, God with us, God with us all, whether we are together or apart. That's what it's all about. That's all I know. Amen. He goes on in the book. He says, At the conclusion of that sermon, I stood at the door and shook hands with the members of the congregation for the last time as their pastor. One woman, a beloved saint of the church, came to the head of the line but was so overcome with emotion that she could not speak. I went to the back of the line. I assumed that she simply did not know how to say goodbye. When she finally reached me again, she extended her hand to shake mine, her shockingly blue eyes magnified by tears, her voice cracked as she asked, Why didn't you tell us this before? He says, I did not know how to respond. And now it is her question that haunts me. Pastor Edwin, this is your first day here at the Kirk, and we hope that your last day is a long time from now. But I want you to imagine the conversations you will have there on your last day that all of us as pastors will have on our last days here. Some will remember some great sermon. Some will thank us for providing care in a difficult time. Some, maybe someone like Amber, will say, can you forgive me for that nasty note I sent you? And hopefully very few, maybe none, will be able to say, you never told us who he is. You never told us who Jesus is. And it won't be just because of the words that we offer from the pulpit or in our classes, but because of how we served with our whole selves. See, right about the time I preached the worst sermon I ever preached, I received a troubling phone call from one of the members of the church. Pastor Nate, she said, they did an x-ray and they see a shadow. They're worried it's cancer. Will you pray for me? And I did. A few weeks later, after it was determined that she had bone cancer, I went into the hospital for her 6 a.m. appointment when they were going to do her first operation. And I met her in the waiting room and I wanted to pray for her and her family. And a few family members were there when I arrived. And then another woman walked into the room. Pastor Nate, the member said, this is my Aunt Amber. Same Amber. And for four years I walked with that family the lonely road. Hospital visits, prayers, communion, and eventually and tragically, a funeral. 
And on my last Sunday at that church, Aunt Amber was one of the people I met at the door. She didn't mention that one awful sermon. She gave me a big hug because I had spent a ministry doing everything I could to show her who I say that he is. And so, Kirk in the Hills, as we come back to church, who do we say that he is? Amen.